Hello, everybody. This is you guys by movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Bellicone. It's June 7, 2020. This is episode 73, and tonight we are covering the top five musicals of the 1960s, which is maybe the whitest um, episode <laughs> we've ever done, especially considering um, we were in the middle of um, social upheaval over racial injustice. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, That's some segue. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I... Yeah, I just wanted to. I think we should probably take just a minute and 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 say that like uh, this this probably feels pretty trivial um, in some ways. Um, a podcast about um, movies, particularly um, these kind of like upbeat musicals of the '60s um, right now. Um, but uh, at the same time, we feel it's important that um, you know we still try to go ahead and put out the podcast like we normally do. Um, but that said, I mean, uh, what's going on in the world right now is obviously much more important than this, but if you need a break from the news, um, you know, um, or break from whatever is going on in your life right now, I mean, um, we still want to make sure that we got this out, um, to everyone. All five of you that listen. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is the most, I mean, you think this is the biggest in terms of protest in your life, right? That definitely is, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anything, like, more. You think about, like, I mean, the Million Man March wasn't, I guess, necessarily a protest, but, like, a very large gathering. And then the Women's March, what was that, three years ago, four years ago that happened? Yeah, it was right after Trump uh, was elected. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty big. Yeah, but nothing in the 90s maybe like for gay rights i think yeah yeah there was some stuff yeah socially conscious at all so but certainly nothing is sustained as this so far and um as uh, as expansive as it is especially now that it's uh, i mean it's gone spreading the uk and australia and stuff like that how how long did that occupy wall street thing last it did last a while yeah yeah um it, it was like what three weeks maybe like yeah, that. but it felt like it was very like contained. Uh, I guess what washed Seattle maybe because of the um, G five and then um, New York obviously like on Wall Street, but nothing like this. Nothing where it was like so widespread and in, in so many different places. I mean, we had I think a couple hundred people in our small town this past the yesterday. We did. I think. Yep. Um, walked and protested. So yeah, a couple of my colleagues were there. It's about two hundred so people um, that were there. I mean, and... it's, it's it's heartening to see. Like it's terrible that the circumstances that lead you to that point. But like seeing people kind of rally behind what's right and yeah, or at least I guess in my opinion, like what's right and no, it's what it's, it's right. what's right. <laughs> yeah, right's right. <laughs> right. I think objectively, like the right thing. Yes. Um, it's good to see. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, wish I, I agree. Was, I wish I was I'm, younger and had less responsibilities because I think I would like to be there. Yeah, yeah. So, and it seems um, to be affecting some real. I don't know. Even if it's not, even if it's just like words, like some people seem to really be taking notice, and I think it bodes well maybe for the future of our country. I agree. Even if there's people out there that are doing, saying things, for the wrong reasons, they're still on the hook for it. Um, I mean, it's still work because it's holding people accountable and responsible continually, but at least it's been said and now they have to stand by it to some degree. 
all the stuff on Facebook of people like digging up like bigoted and racist things that people who own businesses and stuff that have said in the past. And I mean, there's like a large um, crab house down in Baltimore. It's a chain and it's lost like a ton of business because the owner had posted stuff about like some racially insensitive stuff. And then a bunch of people had like boycotted it and are picketing it. So yeah, uh, it's a powerful tool, I guess. Like, yeah. Finally, yeah. social media coming together for something like worthwhile as opposed to <laughs> like ruining the self-esteem and mental health of generations of people. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but it wouldn't be possible without any of that though. I mean, um, like, uh, without social media. And so, yeah, it is as much as I rail against it. A lot of times, um, there is a benefit to it in this regard because none of this would have happened without that. So, yeah, and, definitely. Um, we wouldn't be seeing because the mainstream media is not showing it, but we wouldn't be seeing, unfortunately, all these people that are still being um, brutalized, um, peaceful protesters that are being brutalized right now um, by police. So um, that's an avenue to get that information out since it seems the mainstream media doesn't want to put too many of those videos out for some reason. So, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. So 60s musicals, huh? Mm. 60s musicals, yeah. Um, I hate this list. Um, just so you understand, like I absolutely despise it. I can get it. I can dig it. Um, mainly because they're so long. I mean, like that's, I'm going to be honest. That's, it's petty, but I kind of want to talk about that a little bit, like the length of them. So it's like, number one, like usually you ask me, is there anything else? Blah, blah, blah. I would have made this list. Mm -hmm. The only thing I really can think of that I can, that's like an actual musical is Fiddler on the Roof Mm -hmm. and Fiddler on the Roof probably belongs on this list. But there's one movie, the number five movie is just like a a big nostalgia pick for me. Yeah. And I have no idea like why I have so much nostalgia for it. But like I saw it randomly when I was like 13 or 14 when I was super into the Sergio Leone, um, you know, Man With No Name Westerns. And mm-hmm. um, so that's why that's there. But like, yeah, Fiddler on the Roof probably. But I was looking at stuff like. You know, you got like um, Help and Yellow Submarine and Gimme Shelter and all this stuff that yeah. like is music based, but I don't really consider it a musical because it's not a narrative so much yeah. as it is just like maybe like the original like extended music videos sort of. So. Yeah. Well, let me give you some um, just quick round then, like a like a that we do sometimes. Okay. So, um, the sound of music. I'm not a fan of the sound of music, really. I think it's um. I like a couple of the songs in it, but I, I kind of find it to be like a lot of these movies are outdated, obviously, but I find it to be like particularly outdated. Hmm. Uh, Mary Poppins. You know, it's funny. I didn't even consider Mary Poppins. I, I like Mary Poppins a lot. It's a good movie. Hmm. I like the blend of um, live action and animation. And I think that um, I think it's got good good songs in it and it's a pretty engaging story you would have liked that because that's only like an hour and a half long so. i know right uh my one my favorite movie on your list here is the one that's an hour and a half long um, same with um i think sound of music's only like an hour and 45 minutes so yeah. we're like two hours but it's definitely not anything like the fucking sure about that? Uh, maybe, maybe it i think it's like four hours long frank <laughs> something ridiculous like three hours and 20 minutes or something that's long um, yeah the producers uh yeah you mentioned that i don't know i guess i think the producers is okay but i don't know how much i particularly i used to love mel brooks Mm -hmm. oh yeah sound of music is three hours i'm looking Mm -hmm. um i used to love mel brooks but i don't know like it's just i don't know 
I know. I guess I just don't care for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, I didn't consider that either. I like I like Chitty Chitty. How many songs are in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? Like four, maybe or five. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's a lot. It's been a long time like, since I saw it. That's more just like a kids' movie that happens to have music and not necessarily yeah. like I consider a musical to be something that number one is typically based on a like a stage play, like a actual like Broadway musical, um, and not just like songs and a Disney movie. I suppose so. I don't know. Right. I guess because I'm an elitist or something. <laughs> uh, funny girl. Mm, I don't. I don't really remember Funny Girl. Yeah, I don't. Think, I, um, yeah, I don't. I, I, don't I, I love Hepburn, so you would think that I would like. I yeah. don't remember any songs from Funny Girl. So I hey, you've already talked about the Beatles stuff. Um, let's see, Bye Bye Birdie. Ah, that's another one that's kind of like antiquated to me. Yeah. Would you say the same thing about Hello Dolly? Yeah, I'm. I'm not a huge fan of Hello Dolly's music either. Yeah. Uh, what about the Elvis movies? How do you feel about those? Like Blue Hawaii, GI Blues. The, that's the same as um, the Beatles stuff. Yeah, because they were more vehicles to promote songs that existed outside a narrative of a film, as opposed to like. Yeah songs that exist to like advance the narrative of the film which is what a musical you know to me that's what makes a musical okay uh last oops sorry i was gonna say just because like you build like a vignette around i don't know you ain't nothing but a hound dog like doesn't mean that that song was written specifically for that thing you know what i mean so sure uh the jungle book Yeah, I really like the Jungle Book. That probably would have been a good inclusion too. Yeah, that's like my favorite. I most, probably. I mostly, again, I mostly went with stuff that was direct adaptations of stage plays. Yeah. Um, right. Because to me, like that's like so. There's, we'll we'll talk about it more when we talk about some of these movies. But there really is like a change over the course of the next like twenty years in terms of like what is a musical. Mm-hmm. And I think most of that comes from Disney, basically, like co-opting right. what a musical is through like animated films. Um, and then obviously, like you get more, like this is the beginning of like Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, in the 1960s, like doing his stuff on stage. And so, like a lot of that stuff becomes more prevalent in the 70s, especially with um, like Hair, Jesus Christ Superstar, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the musical becomes more. I don't know. Like, these are very, except for one of them, these are very, like, antiquated in terms of their, I mean, I think, like, shit. Like, one of them's based off of, like, a play from, like, 1910 or something like that, so, I don't know. Yes. Like, they're very antiquated, and so, as, like, a disclaimer before we start, like, really getting into these movies, Mm -hmm. I think only one of these movies, like, really works as a movie and is a good movie. Yes. Like, where I would say that you should sit down and watch this as a movie like everything else are basically almost like like antique or like artifacts of a time that doesn't really exist anymore Mm -hmm. because they're not really filmed like they're filmed on you know in in many cases they're filmed in actual like like locations like it's not like sets or staged or whatever but they're filmed like they're staged. Like, there's not a whole lot of, like, dynamic movement of camera. There's not a whole lot of, like, 
really interesting directorial choices. Um, one of the movies kind of tries some stuff with um, some really like prehistoric, almost like special effects to like illustrate points, but it's more almost an afterthought in that movie rather than like you watch something like Hair or whatever, and you know what it may, that that's Milos Foreman, right? So mm-hmm. you know he's like actually this dynamic director that's trying to like make a movie out of this, you know, stage play and a stage play that's, you know, more daring and like about the counterculture as opposed to, you know, whatever, like a retelling of the story of Pygmalion. You know what I mean? So it's like, like four of these movies are not good. Well, I don't know. I would argue that the number one movie is still a good movie, but three of the movies aren't necessarily good movies and they're long. And like in this day and age, like you watch them and they do drag and they, they feel like overly long. And you have like some conceits in them that I think don't really work in a film like intermissions and the overture and really long extended like dance sequences that don't serve any purpose other than this is what happened in the stage play. So this is what has to happen here. You know, it's not a lot of like daring like filmmaking taking place but yeah like one of the things lot, so. right one of the things i told you with um i think a few of these movies is that the songs that are in them don't feel like they they just feel like they add time they're i mean they're not bad songs even but it just feels like they add time because but they're not advancing plot or character as often well, right. as modern right. musicals do and so because it just feels like it's arbitrarily like tacked on time Um, Right, because in these cases, it's like you've already had whatever narrative point is being, like, driven home by the song has already been expressed fully through dialogue and action. Right. And then it's like, so we've said what we're talking about. Now we're going to sing what we're talking about. So. Yep. But again, like, you know, you're on Broadway. That's what a Broadway play was, you know, and like. Yeah. Learner and low and whatever, like those day and age, you know, it was these people like really emoting loudly on stage and then like moving that into a dance and song routine to kind of like span, you know, three, four hours of time that someone would sit there and right pay large amounts of money to sit and watch these performances. So yeah and well, all they did was, I mean, like to me, like what I would call it when you say these are antiquated, I, I, I I feel like that's true and it's like more modern musicals tend to replace those scenes where it's being the story's being told with the song and the song itself is now doing the work of what those scenes would have done. And right. so it just feels so it feels more natural the musical elements in, of in in more modern musicals, I guess. I mean you look at you look at something that's a great example and it's not even a movie is um once more with feeling and you know yeah. the Buffy the Vampire Slayer like musical and it's 44 minutes or whatever an episode of Buffy is but it tells a complete and engaging story in that time and has like seven songs the entire length you know of of the show and stuff like Chicago and I mean I'm not a huge fan of Chicago but it does a really good job of that and um, I don't know there's some other stuff I'm trying to think of like more modern musicals that I've enjoyed um but they really do, like you said. Like it's about the the, the songs are the narrative as opposed to right. like a whatever, like an addition to the narrative. And sure. again, like a lot of these movies, dance is also an addition too. So you'll have mm-hmm. a really extended dance sequence that then has a song that then goes back into a dance 
and you've spent like sometimes like 25 minutes like bridging between two narrative points that are happening like moments away from each other and you know like the traditional whatever film narrative of you know the story that's going on so yeah um no absolutely um, I only enjoyed watching two and a half of these movies, just so you know. So. Two and a half. It's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, I can't think of anything else really to talk about unless you had anything beforehand. No, just a warning that, you know, opposite of our traditional podcast, most of these are going to be talking about the music in them and, you know, how the music like what I think about that as opposed to our normal stuff, like the plot or the direction or whatever. Cause a lot of them do feel like just very staged, very static like films. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll try to limit some of my comments then um, and just follow your lead with some of that then. But uh, okay. So number five on your list is 1969's paint your wagon. It's directed by Joshua Logan, stars Lee Marvin, Clint Eastwood, Gene Seberg, and Harvey Presnell. It has a 26, 27%, sorry, from critics on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes and a 68% from audiences. Yeah, tell us a little bit about, right, tell us a little bit about your, um, your, well, this is a clear number five pick for you. Right. This is so the, the, this is the movie I was referring to where, I was super into Westerns um, and I was just like renting like every spaghetti Western I could find. And I was at choices one day and I don't even know how I was in the musical section. I don't know what I was looking for, but I saw Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I rented it. And I don't know that I thought it was a good movie, but I think I was like super like entranced by it maybe, or just like stunned. You know, because like they're they're singing like there's Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood, like two of the toughest film actors of like the 60s, like singing and dancing. And uh, Clint Eastwood's a goof, basically, like he's, I don't know, like a man child almost. And I like Gene Seberg, too. So that was pretty cool to have Gene Seberg in there. But um, the story is that there's it's it's a prospecting town that's kind of like. Like fledgling prospecting town and Lee Marvin's this grizzled prospector who rescues Clint Eastwood and kind of mends him back to health. He has a broken arm and broken leg. And then Lee Marvin falls in love with Gene Seberg who comes to town as like the bride of another man. And then he kind of buys her off of him. And so they kind of fall in love and then Clint Eastwood and her fall in love. And there's a bunch of songs about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a very good story. And like, honestly, if it was this is an hour and a half long, it would, it would probably be fine. I would say it not only not fun. a good story, I'd also say that it's extremely problematic in 2020 as well. But um. yeah, <laughs> the only thing that yeah, it's it's problematic. I was going to say the only thing that saves it, but nothing saves it. Nothing saves. But at least Gene Seberg is like her own woman, you know? She is. Like she's right. not. Yeah. Like I don't know. She's she's in charge of both of the of the relationship. Right. Like the dynamic is at her control as opposed to being like more uncomfortable. But the idea of her being like sold is like super uncomfortable. Yeah, right. Um, and, and 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 there and there's comments that are made throughout the movie that are that are uncomfortable as well. But um, but there is like kind of like a 
uh like a low key and i'll let you talk about your songs and stuff but it's like there there is a low key i think um uh subversiveness to this though a little bit because like you talk about like you know she is a strong and independent i also kind of like another one of the movies on this list is i do think there's a little bit of um playing with like you know homoeroticism a little bit as well yeah i I, I think it's – I don't know. I think it's implied that maybe they both would be okay with doing whatever to be with her, maybe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's definitely, like, like a deep camaraderie between the two of them. Right. Which sometimes feels, like, almost paternal or fraternal, maybe. And then sometimes, yeah, you're right. Like, maybe there's something else. Yeah. And maybe that might just be because they're dancing and singing with each other. I don't Could know. Could be, yeah. yeah not, 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 to, not to sound prejudiced myself, but – yeah. There is a certain amount of like it's it's really disconcerting sometimes to watch Clint Eastwood like in this movie. Right. Especially if yeah. you think that what, like two years before this he's making the good, the bad, and the ugly. And mm-hmm. then this, so I don't know. Right. Maybe he really liked the songs. But um I think they call the win Mariah, um Wander and Star, both, you know, really two of my favorite like musical songs. Like I I love both of those songs a lot. Um, I think they're like good songs anyway. Um, there's like the weird song where Eastwood partner is his name in the movie is singing about um, like an imaginary girlfriend type thing, which that, that song's pretty decent. Um, Eliza or something, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just in general, like it's, it, it it's pretty full of music. Like it goes, I mean, what is it like two and a half hours long? I think. Right almost like two hours and 40 minutes it's so. like yeah it was like yeah 240 like 245 or something yeah so i don't know i mean again like i recognize now that it's not at all a good movie and i think maybe even in 1994 i recognize that it's not a good wasn't a good movie mm-hmm. i think i just really like love the kish aspect of it and the fact that again like i was you know, watching Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood and all these movies is like basically like two of the toughest men of their generation. And then the complete like opposite, like seeing the complete opposite of that in this, it was just um, pretty mind blowing. So, yeah. But there are several other movies that should be in this place on this list. So, thanks. That's my caveat. Thanks. So, not because you not only subjected me to this, you subjected my wife to it as well. Um, did you like the songs in it? Like, I really liked They Called Win Mariah. I think that's. I, I did not like the songs in it that much. No. And Wandering oh. Star. I think Wandering Star is a really good song, too. The other songs are pretty forgettable, but those two songs, I think, are legitimately, like, good songs. Yeah, there's a couple that I thought were, like, decent, but uh, it's. Uh, um, I might have missed one because I felt I did fall asleep for, like, 15 minutes and I did not rewind it. <clears throat> um, but I got the story. <laughs> understood it oh okay ebert um ebert didn't like this either oh i don't don't, i don't think it's worth really going into i he is right in the sense of like when he talks about the music i guess is um he says it's like the just the, the musical aspect of it is kind of like disconcerting in some ways. He says it's the, uh, it's a loud and officially stereophonic, um, but the studio music is cold, aloof, and manufactured. There's no feeling that this guy is in a forest singing a song. 
um which i do think it feels unnatural in some ways like the way that it's just done i think part of that too is because in the majority of these musicals you have people who came from musical theater or have a background in who are Mm -hmm. comfortable with like you know breaking into song in the middle like Clint Eastwood ain't singing those songs you know what I mean like right he don't know what he's doing it's just it's it's, it's so it's so weird and like it makes no sense that this movie exists which again is another reason why I think I liked it so much um yeah I can see that yeah I mean I, I can see it when like when you're younger and being a novelty in some ways um Plus, I mean, I I mean like, look at all the other shit I used to like when I was, like, 15 years old. I mean, I, I like some trash, so. Sure. Your taste get better over time. We all, we, we all, we all did, yeah. Okay. So, number four on your list is 1964's My Fair Lady. It is uh, directed by George uh, Coker. Is that how you pronounce his name? Do you know? I'm not sure, actually. Coker, I think, is how you Coeur. say it. Okay, starring Rex Harrison, Audrey Hepburn, and Wilford Hyde White. It is a 95% from critics and a 90% from audiences. Um, You want to tell people just a little bit about this movie and what you you like about it so much as a musical? Um, So, it's a Lerner, um, Alan Lerner production from, I guess, the early 20th century. Um, This is like the film-like adaptation of it. Uh, based on um, the play Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw mm-hmm. and just generally the idea of like like the, the the wealthy man like taking the the poor shop girl and like elevating her to greater heights through like correcting her speech and her grammar and her carriage and whatever um, so it's Henry Higgins is um, a professor who believes that he can take uh, Eliza Doolittle, who's a, you know, just a cockney, like, poor British person and, like, elevator. Um, And then, you know, whatever, like, basically it's just falls in love with her and she kind of, like, shows him that, and the other upper crust that her accent doesn't make her who she is or whatever. I I mean, it's it's a standard story, I suppose. And I think that everybody knows, like, some version of this story right like this is i think so fucking pretty woman and right i don't know like any other number of like movies is basically the same theme sure um hepburn is amazing as eliza doolittle like one of my favorite performances of her um and honestly one of the strongest uh scores and or whatever you would call it like book now what what do they call it like soundtrack i don't know whatever you call the music in a musical like this has like, wouldn't it be loverly and the rain in Spain and I could have danced all night mm-hmm. on the street where you live and get me to the church on time? I mean, there's, like, really, in my opinion, like, strong classic, like, numbers in this movie that are just transcendent. Like, I don't know. I mean, oh, this yeah. is stuff that, like, I knew when I was, like, a kid, you know. There, there's shit that's so ubiquitous. Like, these songs in this are so ubiquitous that, like, there's young people that know these songs and probably don't know where they come from, but still know the songs, you know? Right. And they're, they've been using commercials tons. Sure. Like, wouldn't it yeah. be lovely? I think is in a commercial like right now, except mm-hmm. they say, wouldn't it be lovely? But you know, right. Um, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a well, 
it's pretty well directed. Like it feels, still feels like just a film adaptation of a stage play, but I think it feels more like more movie-ish than maybe Paint Your Wagon does. I mean, maybe that's just because it's not like terrible, but um, Harrison and Hepburn are both really good in it. Like I like them a lot, and again, like I like the music a lot. So it's been maybe I own this on DVD somewhere and it's been maybe 15 years since i've watched it because it's not available to stream like anywhere that i could find Mm -hmm. like you can't even buy it because apparently there's some rights yep um disagreement between whoever the production company is warner and like the estate of somebody i don't know like it's crazy but like you can't like watch it anywhere yeah it's 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 crazy um today i actually listened to the soundtrack just to like kind of remind myself and yeah. Of what I like so much about it. And again, like, super easy soundtrack to listen to. And I definitely, like, love a lot of the music in this. And I love Audrey Hepburn, so that also um, makes it. Although, it's funny because Hepburn isn't saying, like, any shit in this movie. Like, um, her, all of her vocals are dubbed by somebody else because she's not, a, apparently wasn't a very good singer. Um, but she still looks amazing. Like, she's still, like, the most beautiful woman that's ever lived. So, that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had to, you know, do illegal things to, to get this, but, um... Had you ever seen it before? My, yeah, I, I saw My Fair Lady when I was young, yeah. Um, a lot, I mean, I, the only ones that paint your wagon in number two on your list is the only ones I hadn't seen. Um, okay. the other ones I had seen, but I was in my teenage years, like, when I saw them. Kind of like when I was going through, like, Leonard Malden and, like, you know, like, running, like, the supposedly four-star movies and stuff like that like i rented a lot of these and watched them so i had seen it um i um i preferred the play um overall and a lot of it has to do with the fact that like george bernard shaw is like one of the best like writers of dialogue um among you know, playwrights that has ever lived. Um, so there's a, and they use some of his stuff, but there's a, there, there's, a, there's a sharpness, there's a wittiness um, to the dialogue in Pygmalion, which I prefer. And on top of that, there's, um, I hate the ending to this movie, like um, to, to my fair lady, like the idea that, uh, they fall in love or whatever and they've turned the story into a romance because that's not what happened in Pygmalion and you know this it's just like basically Hollywood bullshit that they do um you know not that Bernard Shaw was like the best ally in the world or anything like that but he was a feminist and the whole point of Pygmalion was um uh to you know, showed that he's an asshole and that uh, she could stand up for herself and that he ended up respecting the fact that she could stand up for herself. Right. Um, there's, there was no romance there. And in fact, like Shaw, like had wanted nothing, like did not want this adapted into a musical whatsoever because he was afraid this is exactly what they would do um, <clears throat> and, and lose the meaning behind it, um, which is what they did. So yeah, I agree. Great songs. I mean, I think Hepburn and, um, um, Harrison are good in it and stuff like that, but um, you know, very good. I like the set design, all that kind of stuff. But um, I hate the ending to this thing. 
Like it to me, it's just, under, it just undercuts like you know what was really trying to be done there. So plus it like plus it like uh, I feel I feel like it doesn't fit rewatching it, where it's like it uses a lot of the same kind of like homoerotic subtext between um, Pickering and um, Higgins, and then it's like suddenly it's like, but. No, he's in love with her. Like, and they're gonna be get together. Like, it's like okay, because um, I think it's pretty obvious in the original play that um, they were homosexuals. But <clears throat> I mean, yeah, obviously he has to end up with Eliza here because sure, Hollywood in like the early sixties. So right, yeah, they in France, buddy. <laughs> right. So yeah, so that I mean, I it's fine. For me, but, I mean, I guess, but the music, but, but you're right. The music is really good, and and really, you know, that's that's the part of the classic, the movie that I love is is the music, sure. yeah, and Audrey Hepburn, right? <sighs> okay, so sorry, man, excuse don't, me. Don't be too excited about uh about doing this podcast, there, buddy. <clears throat> I smoked too much last night, and it's like making me, I don't know, like I don't know lose my breath or something like that you're asphyxiated today um okay anything else to say about this movie no i mean i don't know again the whole gist of this podcast is you could listen to like four of these soundtracks and gain just as much as you could by watching the movies and in like a tenth of the time that doesn't say a lot for these movies okay oh real quick too because i didn't want to interrupt your train of thought where the hell do you see commercials at at work Oh. In the break room. All right. Okay, you win. Fine. I've actually become quite the connoisseur of commercials anymore now that I have to watch them again. Gotcha. Because I don't <laughs> see them all the time. Like I don't. They don't bother me. Or mm-hmm. and I guess I don't just tune them out. Like I actually pay attention. So. Okay, I got you. Like the song for um shit. It's the stupidest name drug. It's like Sky Rizzy or something like that. <laughs> Okay. It's like one of my favorite commercial songs of all time. Yeah. The Nothing Is Everything song. I don't know if you know that one, but I know. It's really good. It's a really good like ditty. What does Sky Rizzy do? I don't know. Uh psoriasis maybe or something. Because mm. it's about like having your arms exposed in public. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I I just see like no commercials outside of YouTube, so I have no idea. And I don't see those, so you know. Right. That's why I was wondering. It's like, where do you see commercials? But I didn't. Yeah, in, in, in the break room work. Sure. Okay. All right. So number three on your list is 1961's West Side Story. It's directed by Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. Stars Natalie Wood, Richard Bamer, George Chakras, Rita Marino, and Russ Tamblin. Has a 92% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 84% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie? And so it's, Rome, like about it, so it's so Romeo and Juliet, but right. instead of setting your stage in Verona, you set your stage in New York in the 1950s, I guess, is when it takes place. Yeah. Um, the two gangs are a predominant or a fully white gang of a mix, like nationalities, but they're all white. So there's like Polish and Italian and whatever, but um, they're the Jets and they're like the kind of ruling gang of this neighborhood and then the gang of um puerto rican immigrants uh, led by bernardo the sharks um 
who are the Capulets and the um, Montagues and the, the Capulets are the Sharks and the Montagues are the Jets. Um, and it's the story of um, Tony, who's like a former former Jet who's kind of changed his ways and is now like works at a job and is respectable, sort of um, falls in love um, with Maria, who's the sister of Bernardo. Um, and, you know, I mean, again, it's, it's, it is Romeo and Juliet. So, um, with the exception of the fact that Juliet and this Maria doesn't die at the end. So that's the difference, but, um, same story, you know, same beats, um, just incredibly longer just because of the fact that they got to dance like every five seconds. Super impressed because the last time I saw this movie before watching it for this, was probably 1994, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I've seen West Side Story since. Um, and I don't, I didn't know who Russ Hamblin was when I saw it. Right. Like, watching Dr. Jacoby, like, friggin' mm-hmm. basically do gymnastics and, like, some really, like, impressive athletic, like, moves and stuff. Like, I was, I was, yeah. I was, I was really impressed. And Ben Horn. Who, who was he in it? Uh, he's the lead. Um, oh, Richard. that's Ben Horn. Yeah. Oh no shit. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's crazy. I know. He does. He. You can see. I could see Tamlin, knowing him from when he's older. I could see him a lot more. It was actually really hard to see. Bamer really changes his appearance, like as he ages. Um. Yeah, so I it's, did not. It's harder like, to I, see it. I I could see Russ Tamlin like. Every once in a while in this, I'd be like, oh, right, yeah, like, he really mm-hmm. does look like himself, but, right. yeah, I would not have known that it was Ben Horn if you didn't tell me. Yeah. Um, so this movie is super long. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess just as long as any of the other ones, but. Yes, it's just as long. Um, feel It feels really long to me, because I guess there, to me, it, there's a lot more, like, extended dance sequences in this, and I like the dance sequences, but I feel like they just go on forever when you're watching them like the opening um street brawl or whatever feels really long um the dance itself where uh tony and maria meet each other feels really long Mm -hmm. and i guess ripped off like 10 years later for greece basically yeah like i don't know how i never made that connection before but it's the two lines of people of everyone like dancing together like the dance off or whatever is like basically like the hand jive scene in greece um, but really good songs in it. And again, these are, and it's another musical. So I think even if you've never seen West Side Story, like, you know, some of this music, um, like tonight and, um, I feel pretty, uh, specifically. Um, but then even maybe like Maria, um, maybe one hand, one heart. Like, I, I feel like those things are also like lesser known, but still like kind of ubiquitous in our culture. Um, I think that this story-wise, like, I mean, I guess just because it's Romeo and Juliet, I think it's maybe, to me, like, a better story than My Fair Lady. Um, Just because it's, like, ripping off better material, I suppose. Mm. Although it's a matter of degrees, because Pygmalion's still, like, really good. But um, And I like the leads in it a lot. Another movie that, like, definitely an artifact of the time, because there's a lot of... um, I mean, there's no Hispanic people in this movie, I don't think. 
Right. Like well, Re- Rita Moreno. Rita Moreno is. Um, She's not Italian. I thought Rita Moreno was. Is she Italian? Is she Italian? Uh, I thought so. Maybe not. Okay, I'll look. Um, I mean, maybe there's a couple of the um, a couple of the sharks that are actually Hispanic, but um, Chakras is Greek. Um, so right away, like your main and um, what's her name? Uh, Natalie Wood. I mean, obviously not. Right. You know, yes, obviously. Hispanic at all. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know, but still, it's um, it's it's a classic movie, I think, and it's definitely like a very relatively like faithful adaptation of that stage play, from what I understand. Rita Somebody, Marie, she's Puerto Rican. Is she? Okay, yeah. well then, there's one Hispanic. Yeah. Her real name is Rosa Dolores Salvario Marcano, which I did not know. Let's see if um actually uh Chino is uh Hispanic too. Hmm. Jose De Vega is the name of the actor. Um maybe one other, maybe this Rudy Del Campo. He might be Hispanic. Right. But, but all yeah, the, the Nodley Wood thing is um yeah. That's I seeing that nowadays it was like a Yeah. But yeah, the music in this, this is Leonard Bernstein and Sondheim writing the lyrics. I mean, like, the, this is like two fucking heavyweights, so I mean, it's no wonder it's like the music's so good. And it's it, it, it's perfectly, like, it flows really well in the movie, like, from narrative into the songs, but then, and I don't really feel like the songs go on for too long. It really is just the dancing in this movie that, like, like the set piece dancing that, like, stretches this movie into just... I don't know. And it really, it kind of undercuts, I think, the tension of the two gangs warring with each other because they're, mm-hmm. like, jetang all over the place. So it's, right. like... Right. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily feel, like, rough and tumble and there's any, like, high stakes. So by the time that, like, people start dying, it's just kind of, I don't know. Agreed. I don't know I, it really works. I, I, so, think the, I think the music really hurt. Like, this is the one where I, like... It might have been the first one I rewatched, and like I texted you, and it's like this is when I first said, like, Jesus, these songs just add on so much time, and and it, and and it feels unnatural because, like you said, it, like it's it's interfering with the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yes. So here's a couple of fun, like I don't know, I guess like trivia facts about this movie. Mm. Um, uh, Chakras, who plays Bernardo. Mm-hmm. In the original stage production of West Side Story, um, played Riff, the mm-hmm. Rustin Flynn character. Um, so played a white man in the stage production and then gets cast as like the Puerto Rican lead in um, the film. Mm-hmm. And the Natalie Wood didn't sing anything in this movie. Like it's sung by another woman. And the woman that sung for Natalie Wood is the same woman that sung for uh, Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. That's interesting. Yeah, that's funny. So, same uh, same singer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, again, like I, it's really hard to say. I the first two movies I would recommend to someone like to sit down like, and and watch maybe, especially like the number two movie. Like I would say that like you know like if you want to enjoy this movie, sit down. I, I don't know that I could tell anybody like hey, sit down and watch West Side Story because I just think it's 
you know, again, like antiquated, but I think the music's really great in it. And I think Natalie was really pretty in it. I actually like um, Rita Moreno the most. I think I do too. Yep, I think she's um she's pretty gorgeous in this movie, and I I love her character. Like America is um my favorite song in the whole movie. Um, I I love the set piece of America and like the back and forth, like the call and response between the the female um jet or the female sharks and the male sharks, and it's um it's really good. Do you do you want to do you want to hear a contemporaneous review from Time Magazine? like part of it sure i find it's really interesting now that i'm rereading it in the light of the past week or so um they say sociologically the film bids to be taken seriously at a hundred points it sinks a daga of ridicule into the affluent society that has carelessly betrayed the people this movie portrays a number called america lets the hot air out of the norte americano ideal of freedom Free to do anything you choose, free to wait tables and sign shine shoes. G Officer Crumpke is a touching, lighthearted tribute to those municipal marbles, magistrates, civil service, psychiatrists, social workers, policemen on the beat who so often without even trying are able to develop a mere juvenile delinquent into a mature criminal. But West Side Story goes wildly and sufferably wrong when it insists that a society that society is entirely guilty, that the teenage hoodlums are ultimately innocent. Worse yet, the picture becomes wildly, immorally sentimental when it attempts to make these alley rats um, into the Patrick Henrys of the urban proletariat. It goes on to talk about the music, uh, which I also find interesting. It's uh, different from the sociological context. But nevertheless, by sheer theatrical intensity, the film transcends its specious materials under Wise's driving direction. It sets pieces, its set pieces are Sacco and Incessant. Wood has the right dark glow as the Latin <laughs> heroine. Yeah, right. Richard Bamer is a winsome hero and is a tan teen Tybalt and a nubile nurse of anything but the usual Shakespeare Shakespeare George Chakras and Rita Moreno are strikingly slummy <laughs> on screen as on stage Stephen Sondheim's lyrics sting like a tongue full of tamales Leonard Bernstein's music as usual spinelessly eclectic fails as the whole film fails to merge the moods of sweetness and blight but it is often swell, strutty stuff. So that's what Time Magazine thought of this movie in 1961. It's, um... So, yeah, that's... I don't know. That, there's a I, lot to unpack there. I don't know that I agree that it removes any blame from the gang members themselves. I don't like, see I don't that, think, but I don't think that's right. I I think I think it sympathizes with them, but I don't think it removes any blame from them necessarily. I think they think that I think they're mocking the fact that adults somehow try to place the blame for their behavior on all these other sources when in reality they're very self-possessed people who just want to be in charge and run their streets. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's mocking the idea that they don't have any blame. You know what I mean? Right. The the hey the G officer Crumpy or hey officer Crumpy, mm -hmm. like that's what that piece is about. Is like, oh well, the police officer blames it on my drunken drug addict parents, and the psychiatrist blames it on the fact that no one loves me, 
and the social worker blames it on this, but then ultimately, like it, it's their fault, you know. So I, I think that's I think that's bad analysis. Yeah, I mean, it's it's trying to. I mean, look, I mean, like overall, I know that like Bernstein was um, and Sondheim. I'm going to assume as well. And but I know Bernstein was a was a left wing activist. Um, but. I don't know. I, this seems like somebody who knows the politics of those people and is trying to find their politics inside of this where maybe they're taking it a little too far, which is the story of 2020 as well. So, Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, they're like, this is obviously like time like is trying to find the hidden socialism inside of this movie. Like, and probably trying to find it everywhere else just because of, like, the upheaval of the time, like you said. So. Sure, right, yeah, right. Yep, yep, yep. Um, no, it's just interesting, um, considering the, the past week, like, um, yeah, same same tactics being used. Um, but, yeah, problematic language there. The right, like, the fact that, like, wood has the right dark glow as the Latin heroine. Right. Jesus. Right. Um, yeah, a, tan, a tan teen tie vault. Um, strikingly slummy, like a tongue. Oh, and t- also George Chakras yeah. looks like he's like forty years old in yes. his like yes. Hispanic yeah. makeup. Like if he didn't specifically say that um I mean they all look old. Like don't get me wrong. But like he particularly looks like I don't know, I can't even ex- like describe what I think he looks like, but he looks like a like an old man. Right. Okay. Anything else to say about this movie? No, I really have anything else about it. All right. Okay, so actually, you know what? I never looked up. How do you pronounce this movie? Your number two movie, Frank? Do you know? The um, Umbrellas of Cherbourg? Cherbourg. Okay. Um, I meant to look that up and didn't. I, uh, I've always Cherbourg. Shoreberg. Okay. Um, so it is uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg um, from 1964. Um, Jacques Demi uh, is the director of the movie. Catherine Divino, um, Nino. Oh my God, Chris Divino. Oh, Divino. Catherine Divino. Yeah. You want to get these other names then? Nino Castellanovo. Uh, Catherine Divino, Anne Vernon, Nino Castellanovo, and Mark Michel. Okay. And Ellen Farner. <laughs> I can pronounce right. that one. Yeah, there's, um, there's Anne Vernon. Anyway, so let's go. Okay. Has a 98% from Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 87% from audiences. Surprised that, um, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised by the audience score. I don't know. I can see how it would be like maybe a little too much for some people. Yeah, it's a little too much for some people, I think. Not me, but I can see where other people would think it's too much. So you want me to go ahead? Yeah, go ahead. Um, you wanted to move on so- with it. I was just trying to get to the. Get to the chase. Yeah, man. So, told in three parts. Um, it's, I'm going to say this word wrong. It's re- recitative, I think is how you say it. Um, in the sense that all dialogue is sung. So, the entire movie is the musical, basically. Like, all narrative is pr- propelled forward by music. Um, and in French, like all their stuff has like a rhyming scheme to it and everything, um, which I found like really fascinating the first time I saw this movie. 
Um, I'd never seen that before in a movie where like everything was was sung. Um, it starts as the story of Guy and Genevieve, who are these uh, youngsters. He works in an auto shop, and she works in an um, umbrella store, I guess. I don't even know what you would call an umbrella store, but that's what her an mother umbrella owns. umbrella store? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm that's sure a, that's, what like they, that. that's what they call it. I'm sure umbrella. there's some fancy word for it, though, that that's like the right whatever the translation that you read is umbrella store but it's like like a haberdashery could just be a hat store anyway so they fall in love um the mother disapproves because he's young and kind of poor but she loves him um he gets drafted to fight in the algerian war and they have sex the night before he leaves um and then she gets pregnant and she doesn't hear from him for a while um because he's out on the front even though she writes him letters um so the mother kind of sort of like gently pushes her into being with this guy who um, is a jeweler and he's well off and he can take care of her and he loves her despite the fact that she's pregnant with somebody else's baby. Um, So she marries him um, even though she's kind of like, I guess more or less she's doing it. It feels like because she feels maybe abandoned by Guy and not necessarily because she loves the guy. Um, so he comes back and finds out that she's married, um, and he has some trouble, like, basically, like, being back from the war and being without her, um, and his aunt, who he was really close to, has died, um, but then he falls in love with, well, the woman that used to care for his aunt was in love with him, and then he falls in love with her, and they open a gas station, and they get married, um, and then years later, uh, Genevieve, in her fancy car stops at his gas station by chance and they sort of like sort of talk to each other and they both kind of affirm that they're both happy where they are like they're both good and she leaves and he's whatever like with his wife and his kid and that's it and it's all told in song and it's beautifully fucking filmed like it's yeah absolutely like the best film on this list like from a standpoint of like direction and <clears throat> there's some brilliant stuff just with um camera movement and like tracking of you know the leads like walking with each other and um using like the umbrellas kind of as a like the opening shot of this movie is <clears throat> beautiful and brilliant like just the tracking like over the streets like following like a rain squall like as mm-hmm. it goes with umbrellas um through this town of Cherbourg um I don't know. It's, it's, it's a beautiful movie. Um, it's the only movie that I cannot sing you a single line from it just because everything is sung and because there's no, like, like, you can't say that, like, okay, there's this song and then this song. Right. Um, except for the, I guess, like, the opening theme of it is, like, a an actual song. But everything else, you know, just being recitative dialogue like you can't like just sing along with it but to me that makes it brilliant like i can't imagine how difficult it was to like as an actor and as the director you know um to like sing everything and like hit your marks and follow everything and stay like in tune and on cadence and i don't know really really impressive movie yeah no i had never seen this before um and yeah, this is my favorite out of the five of watching. 
them was was this movie um i well i definitely know now like after watching this as soon as i I was like 20 minutes into it and seeing this i i was like that's where the paladinos um this is definitely like this is a dude that must be one of their favorite directors um is because gilmore girls and marvelous mrs mazel like steal shit from this consistently like in terms of like the look and the direction and that kind of stuff. Um, they like, they take from this all the time, even in terms of the, the, the tone at times, um, of, of the, of, of the movie, like they like take some of that kind of stuff. It's, um, it's pretty amazing. And I know you haven't watched much of Mrs. Maisel, right. But, um, Maisel is really like stylistically is influenced by this in terms of like the coloring and, the way things are filmed and stuff like that it's um and you can see a little bit of it in the Gilmore girls obviously but um it's Maisel really goes overboard with that stuff um and this is has to be an influence on them <clears throat> uh but yeah i thought this was uh really well done i thought it was captivating i thought the pacing was brisk throughout um and i think ultimately like you know it's not like a earth shattering story there's no like big revelations or anything like that but it's just this um very i think human story um very quiet you know ending um right and not at all the ending you would expect you know even like halfway through the movie sure because you're still kind of waiting for him to come back and then be reunited and it's it's probably Mm -hmm. like a very very true to life like slice of life you know and putting that against the backdrop of a musical, I think, is pretty brilliant. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I do too. Yep. It's funny that um, uh, Mark Mark Michelle, who plays Roland the jeweler, mm-hmm. um, actually plays the same exact role in Demi's uh, Lola from uh, shit early sixties. This is it's like maybe like five years before this, mm-hmm. um, and is in love with the woman and she kind of spurns him. So this is sort of, I guess is like that character, like the fulfillment of his arc more mm-hmm. or less. Well, I, I, I was reading a little bit about Demi cause I've not seen anything else of his, but um, I, I think that's, I think, I think that's kind of like his thing, isn't it? Is like a lot of like li- li- little characters like pop up in all the, um, all of his movies from other, like from other movies. I think apparently, like I read that he that was a big thing of his is that he would always like usually have like some ca- character pop up in a different movie. Yeah, which is interesting. Create a universe I've like only, that. I mean, I've only seen Lola, this, and Donkey Skin of his. Mm-hmm. I think I, I can't think of anything else. Let me look them up. Because I can't think of anything else of his that I've seen. There's one that I'd be surprised if you hadn't seen, but. Um, I forget the name um, of it now. Like I've definitely heard of it. And no, I'm looking. I've I've seen Lola. I've seen Umbrellas with Cherbourg, and I've seen uh, Donkey Skin. And I think that's it. Unless I've seen his Pied Piper. Let me look that up. Oh, it was the one he did a few years after that? The the Young Girls of Rocheford or whatever. No, I've never seen it. No, oh, yeah, I'd actually I've heard heard about that. I that's I actually had heard about that and not this movie. Yeah, I know. I I saw this movie. I don't know. No, he was married to Agnes Varda. Yeah, yeah. Huh. 
Um, I saw this movie in the my early twenties, I guess, and kind of fell in love with it like pretty early on. And I was always uh, super into Catherine Deneau during that time. Um, even obviously, you know, from Repulsion, but also from like other stuff. Like I really like her a lot. So I don't know. It's it, it's a beautiful film, and it's definitely worth um, watching. And if you have access to the Criterion Channel, like it's on there, right? Right. So. No, I'm sorry. I was just reading about him a little bit. Died of HIV AIDS, according to Varda. Even though it was originally reported as cancer when he died in the, in 1990. Guess that in 90 you didn't tell people that stuff. Well, they were they never they were married until he died, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Okay. Yeah, I thought this was a really good movie. I definitely think it's um worth checking out um and if you're a fan of like uh the paladinos like with gilmore girls and stuff like that i think it's worth seeing just to kind of see some of that influence there um possibly crowther hated it um weird i wonder if it's just because of the singing without like that's part of it yeah he thinks that it is um he he, he considered it that aspect ingenuous and old-fashioned um like the the way that, that by telling the story like that um and he thought it was it's funny it's a, it's a, it's actually like a criticism of um paladino's work um he says it's a cinematic confection show so shiny and sleek and sugar sweet um so studiously sentimental that it comes suspiciously close to a spoof um I don't find it to be overly sentimental. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't think I agree ever with Bosley Crothers anyway. So you, you never, yeah. It's actually really funny. You, you, yeah. Bosley Crothers just seems like he shits on everything. I don't know. Okay. Especially for, especially foreign stuff. He really does not like foreign stuff, it seems. Look, as you're, as you're maturing and coming into your own and you realize that your parents named you Bosley Crothers, like, I <laughs> Like, really? Like, everything must seem, like, bitter after that. Right. Sounds like a butler's name. Sounds like a butler's name is what it sounds like. Like, It's like Snively Whiplash's best friend. (laughs) Snively Whiplash and Bosley Crothers. (laughs) Okay, I don't feel it. God, he's, he's such an asshole. Did you hear that, too? Like, all that, like, alliteration that he used in that first line? Right, he's a, he's, he's a shit. It's fine. he is. Um. Okay, so number one, um, on your list is Oliver. Am I supposed to like say that with more force because of the exclamation point? Oliver. How okay. About that? Okay. There you go. Thank you. Oliver. Um, from 1968, is directed by Carol Reed, stars Ron Moody, um, Oliver, Oliver Reed. Reed, Mark Lester, and Shawnee Wallace. Has an 82% from critics and 81% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much? Um, so it's Oliver Twist, basically. Um, so if you know the story of Oliver Twist, that's what this movie is. Um, what I, I This is one of the first musicals I ever saw as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, this and Grease, maybe. Like, if you don't count, like, Disney movies, these those are probably my first two. And Jesus Christ Superstar somehow. I don't know. But um, I 
this is also kind of a nostalgia pick, which is why it's number one over Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Um, I mean, I think Carol Reed does a good job directing this movie, <laughs> even though, again, like I find it to be like a little overly long. Um, but I think they're really good performances. I think Oliver Reed is actually like really great in it. Um, and then I love like all the music in it. Like this is maybe the one where I enjoy the music the most and like actually kind of like I, I sing these songs to myself a lot. Like, um, it's another one too that I think is kind of ubiquitous in like, uh, commercials and like pop culture, you know, with like food, glorious food and consider yourself and I'd do anything. And, um, you know, I think that as long as he needs me is like a really like kind of mournful and, and really great song. And I, I just, I love the way it looks like, I really like Oliver Reed a lot in it. Um, I like Carol Reed's direction. Um, I think that, uh. Ron Moody is, like, fantastic as Fagin. Um, I think that Mark Lester does a good job as Oliver. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I really agree. enjoy it. So, I think that of all the, like, traditional musicals, this one goes by the fastest when you're watching it. Agreed. Like, in terms of how your brain, like, perceives it. Like, it doesn't ever feel like, you don't sit there and think, like, oh, my God. Like, can you just get past this fucking dance sequence so we can get all of the movie, please? And I like dancing, you know, like I like watching dancing, but like some of those movies, like it's just forever. But I don't know, I just think it's, I think it's really well done. And again, it's another thing like with, with West Side Story, like where the source material is obviously like very classic and very, um, you know, like sort of ingrained in our, our brains. Um, and it really works well. So, yeah, I do not like dancing and, um, or watching dancing necessarily i mean not to say that it can't be impressive um it is it just is it's kind of like that old seinfeld joke where um elaine wants him to go i think see mel torme and seinfeld says like i can't watch a man sing a song um it's kind of the same thing it's like i can't just like watch somebody dance like it's uh so despite that i also thought it went by pretty quickly (laughs) um even having that feeling but uh where, like in West Side Story and My Fair Lady and Paint Your Wagon, like the music feels like it interrupts the narrative. Like I kind of feel like Oliver sort of integrates it a little better, where like mm-hmm. the song, the dancing is just kind of part of yes. what's happening in the movie. So maybe this is like the forerunner to the modern filmed musical in that respect. Right. Kind of, so they're sort of like learning. You can't just like interrupt the entire movie with people like, "Hey, let's dance and sing about what we were just talking about for the past five minutes." Yeah, I, I certainly felt that this was better in that regard. Um, like, and and yeah, it is much more like what comes after. I think um, where it's uh, integrated uh, more naturally um, into things. So yeah, I mean, this would have been like I liked, you know, um, Umbrella of Shoreberg, um the best but i mean this this is really good um you know who didn't like this uh bosley crothers <laughs> no i crothers no right now he would have still been writing at this time i guess because he was writing oh, a few oh my years god but, um fuck i've forgotten his name now it's been so long I, it's been a long time right it's our good friend steve kerr or i mean not steve kerr steve kerr's the <laughs> basketball coach dave kerr <laughs> We should we 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 should um, email Steve Kerr. 
and see, see what he thinks about Alf. Um, I bet he likes it. Yeah, I don't think Steve Kerr likes Oliver. What? What? Why would you think Steve Kerr liked Oliver? Kerr's only a little older than me. I mean, like Kerr's like fifteen years older than you. Yeah, he but thirteen years older than me. So okay, Kerr was definitely watching Oliver when he was a kid. Okay, first of all, like I'm thinking of the right guy. He's the coach of the of the of the Golden State Warriors, right? Steve Kerr. Yeah. Have you ever in your life as a player or as a coach taken Steve Kerr like see, I don't see Steve Kerr having any kind of um joy. Oh, he's got a good sense of humor. Really? Kerr, yeah, I think so. I never seen that man laugh. I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't I don't think you would I don't I I think he would not like Oliver. Maybe that's if why I, he <laughs> the more dystopian elements of the story of Oliver Twist. Maybe he's a big Dickens mark because of that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, you know, uh, okay. Things are off the rails when we're trying to divine um, Steve Kerr's opinion on Oliver. What do you think Phil, Phil Jackson likes Oliver, right? No. no. What? He has to. Phil Jackson hasn't seen a musical since Hair. He saw Hair and he never had a musical again. He saw Hair and then went and burned sage out in the desert for six hours in a sweat lodge. So he could, like, divine the nature of the universe. And he never felt like he needed to see another piece of music again. Okay, two more for you and then I'll stop. Okay. Um, oh, shit. Uh, Pat Riley. And Pat Riley has never even considered the fact that, like, the only musical Pat Riley's ever watched is, like, the Pitbull, like, halftime show special at an all-star game or something. I don't think that's true. Don't you think he has, like, you know, with as much money as he has, some wife that, like, dragged him to musicals and stuff like that? Yeah, he probably pays some, like, dude to sit there and watch the musicals with her. <laughs> well, he just, like, takes a bunch of hair grease and, like, slicks his hair back and he pretends to be Riley? He puts that pomade in. He does a bump off the back of a solid gold toilet. <laughs> we ain't watching Oliver. Get out of here. <laughs> okay, last one. Greg Popovich. Greg, Greg Popovich appreciates Oliver and has yeah. written like several essays on the importance of <laughs> Unpublished? Yeah. Just, they, they just sit in a drawer somewhere? <laughs> they're, they're fanfic critical analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Popovich, uh, good dude. Popovich also probably has like six different like unpublished screenplays that improve on Oliver in several ways, right? And would have like multiple um, Academy Awards. Yeah, and also like probably made Tim Duncan perform like songs from Oliver during practice. Yeah, and Tim Duncan <laughs> probably do it too because I'm sure probably, really probably makes Tony Parker play Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting yourself. Um, <laughs> I can I, I can see that. So uh yes, our good friend Dave Kerr, um was a Chicago reader um for years um as their top critic. Uh he says Carol Reed's careful if passionless adaptation of the musical 
was mounted handsomely enough to win Best Picture Oscar back in 69. In retrospect, it seems emblematic of the triviality Reed descended into in the last years of his career. The third man, it's not. <laughs> that's it. That's the review. <laughs> and that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Was that, on, was that on the back of the cereal box or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that was like his short reviews that he would do, like in the Chicago Reader, where he'd like, it was always like not contemporary reviews, and he would just like have these like short, pithy, um, you know, two or three sentence like reviews. Yeah, that's definitely pithy. That's what I would call it. His best one is still Alien. I can't remember like exactly how it was worded, but um, oh, he's talking about how it just became a movie of bodies. Some of them were played by, and he just lists off the top three actors. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's he's a dick, but he's funny he sometimes. I've I've, I've come to really appreciate Dave Carr to a point. Yeah, I have to. Yeah, I like Dave Carr more than like what's his name like um. Owen Lieberman, like I can't stand that dude. Like that's a dude that's a dick just to be a dick. Yeah, and I, I, I that, and I hate his writing style. Um, fucking hurt. Yeah, I, 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 I've grown to dislike Bosley Crother um, over time as we've been doing Bosley this. Bosley Crother reminds me of is um the main antagonist in uh fuck. it's either Atlas Shrugged or um it's the Fountainhead. Hmm guy that's like the yeah right the guy that's the uncle of the woman that um is in love with work yeah yeah trying to remember yeah i can't i can't remember that character's name but that's that that's bosley brothers he's this dude with a fucking ascot and a monocle like i don't know eating like fucking paste and going foo 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 at like anything that's any fun or any good. Right. Fuck a Bosley Crothers. <laughs> yeah, the other critic I've really grown to dislike as we've been doing this is um the guy that wrote for the Washington Post was Destin Howe. Um he wrote for the Washington Post back for a lot of stuff in like the nineties and early two thousands. Um really dislike that guy a lot. Like he always just seems to always have like the word it's a bunch he's like a hot take guy almost it seems to me. Um always has terrible opinions. Um, there's others too, but yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, Oliver is good. I mean, so what so. we didn't mention when we started talking about this list is that mm-hmm. this was a random generated list. Yes, where you like randomly picked like a year and randomly picked the thing. Yeah. So neither of us wanted to do this list necessarily, but I actually like I really enjoyed listening to all the soundtracks. More well, than when we did this back, um when uh the world still existed um in january or december or whatever um at the when we were at the bar and we like did these randomly generated episodes throughout the year um i was really excited about all of them and i was even excited about this one and then the reality slapped me in the face um yeah, I, I think you didn't really consider what a musical was <laughs> that's that could be true consider what I was going to pick to make you watch. <laughs> right. I didn't, I didn't, um, right. It's like, I didn't know what a, yeah, I just didn't know what I'm, I don't know what a musical is maybe. Um, yeah, because it's like looking at those other things, it's like, I would have had, if it were me, like what I, what I was thinking of musicals is like the jungle book, the producers, 
a West Side Story. Like, you know, there, some of these are on there, but it's like there, there's other things that like I would have that I more prefer. Mary Poppins even, I guess, to some extent. Um, I mean, part of it is me forcing you to watch Paint, Paint Your Wagon, which is a terrible movie, so <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, yeah I mean, that uh, West Side Story was not fun to watch to me at all. No, West Side Story feels like it's like six hours long when you're watching. Yes, yes, it felt incredibly long. Um, and plus, there's so many breaks between like the good songs. Right. But I really like the songs in it. Yeah, yeah, the song the songs are good. Even though I still feel like most of the time the songs aren't related to the plot enough um, at all. Yeah, really. Um, like America is the only one that actually like kind of works like within yeah. the context of that it's set up for the plot and then moves through the dance and song routine that are all concurrent like there's not like a dance routine then a song routine and then just kind of moves into the next scene yeah it's like it feels like like i feel pretty which you know like i was like sitting there watching that and it's like she's singing and it's like i get how this relates but at the same time it's like man this is just so pointless to the plot of this movie to some degree like it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's like taking like one line of dialogue and like expounding upon it for f- three minutes, like you know, right. four minutes of a song. Yeah, but I um I like later musicals like much better, like just in the terms of the way they're presented. Even if I don't like the musical, so you mentioned Chicago. I really like Chicago a lot, but um, yeah, it ain't my but, bag. But um, but but the way that's presented, I I I like that better. Even things I'm not a big fan of, like a. Uh, not a big fan of rent, but I still like the way it's presented. Um, as opposed to Oh Jesus, did you hear that? You didn't hear it? Okay. I that'll be funny to see if it gets picked up on the podcast or not, because it just sounded like I got some kind of echo in my own voice and it sounded like a demon. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there's some stuff in the past like twenty years. So like I'm not a fan of rent. But, like, Moulin Rouge, you know, is good. I'm um, not a fan of Moulin Rouge that much, but, yeah. Huh? I like Moulin Rouge. It's fine. But that's another one where it's less, like, it's like how, I guess you could kind of call, well, no, I guess you couldn't call. <clears throat> but, like, um, the Romeo and Juliet, uh, the Baz Luhrmann one from, like, the late 90s, which mm-hmm. is just all about, like, integrating the music, like, into the action. Um, which I don't really consider that a musical, but you know. But there's been a bunch like um I don't know, like Jersey Boys, my parents love that and um Avenue Q, which I don't think ever became a movie, but I thought that was a pretty good musical. That's a Broadway musical from like the past twenty years. So Right. New- Newsies. I really like Newsies a lot. Like I have a huge amount of like nostalgia for Newsies. And I dated a girl that Newsies was her favorite movie. Yeah, um, that's why I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, you didn't, you you didn't, um, you didn't get your shit, and you didn't like like self promote that you uh, didn't you? Played Bernardo. Yeah, yeah you play Bernardo in West Side Story, right? Right. I didn't want to talk about that shit. <laughs> Although I was sitting there, I was watching it with um, my son, and I was like, you know, I used to be able to dance like that. Like, I got, I got, <laughs> And now I struggle to like, like I don't know, like climb a flight of stairs. So, how the worm has turned for old Frankie. But um, <sighs> old Frankie fingers. <clears throat> hey, Frankie, Frankie Pantalones. 
Anyway. So, okay, so that's uh, that's that's the '60s list. I, I love how you just end the episode. It's like neither of us want to do this. <laughs> but it's true, right? Like it, it is. I mean, a little bit of breaking kayfabe. Um, yeah, look, I, this is. I'll fully admit that this is the first time where, like, I we've done a podcast, and all I feel is absolute relief that I don't have to like watch these movies anymore. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, I I feel the same way. I had much more enjoyment just like listening to the soundtracks while I was doing other things over the past like two weeks, just yeah. to refamiliarize myself with the music at least. Right. Like so, I I really like really really dug listening to um, My Fair Lady again. Like I haven't heard those songs in a while, and it was like, oh my god, like I love these songs. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, next week is our, I guess at this point, it's, I guess it's maybe an annual thing now. We did it last year and we're doing it again this year, roughly around the same time, but um, we're doing what's called the fresh five. So Frank is, you know, keeps track of the movies that he watches. And then when we do this episode, he, what do you go back two or three months roughly? Uh, when you pick them. Yeah. I, I actually, for this one, I went back to the beginning of the year. Okay. Um, for oh, one I've, of the movies, because I had seen it in, like, February. Okay. Um, but, yeah, like, two or three months. Okay. Um, but, yeah, and, and then Frank picks his top five, and next week we have um, five movies, and, and it could be for uh, just the first time you watched them. So, last year, you, you know, watched something from the 70s, and it made the list because it's the first time you had seen it. But um, this year, it's all um, all stuff from 19... Uh, 2019. I actually made a conscious effort to do that because there was stuff that I'd seen from like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But as I was watching, I was thinking like, well, maybe I'll put that on like a list. Like I was thinking a different list they could fall on. Um, So I just, I kind of restricted myself to stuff that's modern directors and like, you know, it was fun. Like I really, yeah, no, it's, um, I have one more movie left to watch on that list, but, um, it's, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I really enjoyed last year's episode of The Fresh Five. Um, I thought it was one. Uh, if you go back and listen to that, uh, what's what's the Paul Thomas Anderson movie that um, was number one? Moonlight on Kingdom. One? Moonrise Kingdom. No, 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 no. not no. Paul PT. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of Wes Anderson. Right. Um, yeah, Phantom Thread. It's like um, there's a few other movies on there too. The uh, uh, Altman movie. Um, with with your girl um oh right um three women three women yeah and there's a couple other oh the the don quixote uh, movie was on that list too yeah um even though because i think you had like took the past month of movies or something like that and you i think it was your number five movie because like you thought it was interesting even if you didn't care for it that much yeah i wasn't um, watching as many movies then either so right but um but no that was a really that that's a really good episode actually and i thought that we actually like uh there was like a lot of analysis like more so in that episode i thought like just because i think we were dealing with fresher things um that um hadn't haven't been talked about the death like some of the movies that we cover sometimes yeah. you know and uh so yeah i think this will be the same thing like um i'm really interested in talking about some of those movies yeah um, me too I'm also interested in talking about some other movies that I thought might make the list that um, mm-hmm. fell short for various reasons. Yeah, because I definitely had because we had done it last year and I've been thinking about it. I had mm-hmm. some preconceived notions of stuff that I was like, "Oh yeah, that'll definitely go on that list." Right. Um, 
And then yeah. one movie that should have been on the list, but I didn't really watch it in time, and so it didn't make mm-hmm. it. Okay. Um. Yeah. There's. Uh, yeah. I'll try to. Uh, I. I. I'm guessing there's one that you thought would have made the list and 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 didn't. And um. I'll try to watch that this week. Um, well, I hope you do. I really want to talk to you about it. So. Okay. Um. So yeah, this is almost kind of like a like a modern movies list in to some degree. Um. Yeah which we never do. And then uh, the last podcast of the month, we will be doing the top five tropical movies. Um, I got to make that list for you. Yeah, you do. I I don't um, don't know what's going to be on there, so I'll be interested to see what that is. I'll get it to you tonight. Okay. I got some ideas. Cool. All right. Any final thoughts on this, Frank? No. I mean, again, like, just glad it's over. So (laughs) enjoy listening. I'm glad you listened. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Glad. Yes, thanks for listening, um, and uh, uh, I hope everybody uh, remains safe, um, you know, to the protesters and stuff like that. Um, I guess thank you and good luck um, yeah, uh, in your efforts. And um, Please continue to social distance and wear masks, you friggin' maniacs. Like, yes, yeah. I'd like to eventually, like, be able to live a life again and everybody, like, going out and hanging out yeah. and- restaurants and shit is crazy yeah i mean luckily the pro i I think a lot of times you see the protesters i mean unsurprisingly they are like wearing masks and trying to social distance like i think often if they can um i get like when they can't there's things that maybe to them are more important than um right Right. you know their their health but um but then there's a bunch of people that are just going on socializing and not doing that. And yes, please wear a fucking mask. Um, if you're just going out to have fun, um, you know, try to social distance and wear a mask whenever possible. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's spikes all over the place going like Arizona is like wild yeah, right now. Florida, it's crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. Right. So, okay. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week with the fresh five. Have a good night. Have a good night. Yeah, bye.